Welcome to the Ready to Thrive podcast. My name is Jacqueline, and I don't know if you've ever felt like you are just surviving your life. I know I have, and that's why I created this space. I want to help you move from surviving to thriving. My goal is to help you get unstuck and actually enjoy your life. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips and always point you to Jesus. So what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. Now, before we begin, I want to say this is a topic that we are talking about that is um, not for little ears. So if you are listening to this podcast, um, this might be a great chance to put headphones on. Um, we're going to be talking about some some important things today. We're going to be covering um, things like pornography and spiritual warfare, all kind of meshed into one. So just want to be sensitive to those people who are listening. Now, I am joined once again by my husband. I'm so thankful he is taking the time out of his busy schedule to meet with me and have another hard conversation. And the things we're going to talk about um, are based on some of the really hard conversations we have had in our marriage, and especially when it comes to pornography. And in some ways, this is how this entire series kicked off. Uh, we were sitting together after watching an online service a few weeks ago, and the topic was lust. And one of the conversations we were having, um, my husband was sharing that for so many men he has talked to, they um, they are not free from um, from these this draw that um, is lust and is pornography. And so he, Brendan's going to share his story of freedom. And I have wanted to have him on to share this for a while, but um, watching that sermon really kicked off the urgency I felt and that this was the right time to be able to have this hard conversation. And the hope is that um, as you listen, this will help spur on some of your own hard conversations in this area. And if you haven't already listened to the first few episodes, I suggest doing that, especially the first one where we just talk about the value of having hard conversations. So Brendan, welcome. Thank you again for joining me. Um, I also want to let people know if you hear something that sounds like a slurping noise, we are both enjoying a fresh cup of coffee um, because this is like, I mean, it's kind of like a weird, a weird date afternoon or something. Um, so Brendan, um, why don't you dive in and just share with me um, your story, your journey, um, with pornography. For sure. Thanks for asking me an easy question. Um, it's great to be back on again, uh, this week on the podcast, but, um, yeah, for me, I have, uh, I think like many or most men that I've talked with, um, struggled with, um, pornography as well as just lust, um, since adolescence. And so, for me, I was someone that didn't uh, grow up in a necessarily Christian home. There was some Christian aspects, but I didn't come to faith and trust Jesus with my whole heart till I was 17. So I was already three to four years down the road of navigating um, sexual attraction and lust. And uh, it was pre-internet in my uh, teenage years, at least the majority of them. And so there wasn't the digital challenge of pornography. It was more old school. But um, for me, that was an issue that was filled with shame even back then, uh, before 
becoming a Christian and trying to navigate it. And it was a different time in the world where even amongst uh, my friend group, we would never have confided or been honest about that. And so then when you, for me, introduced faith into the equation, it just upped the shame game where I just thought, I don't want to be this kind of person. I don't want to have this secret desire and secret struggle. And so uh, there became a point I reached where I could confide in some close Christian friends and say, I'm struggling with this. And then you realize, oh gosh, so, so, so many other people. I remember one group of guys who were frustrated, passionate. We were part of a kind of a guy's Bible study. And we, we thought, you know what, we just need hardcore accountability that will get us over the hump. And so someone had the genius idea. I know what, let's create a money jar that you have to pay into every time you struggled. And so we had 30 days of awesome freedom. But then since that was really an external motivation strategy, um, the money started to flow in. And then afterwards we were like, what do we do with this huge pot of money that we have that seems kind of dirty. Um, and so that was, I think, cemented the reality for me that my pornography struggle and the one that uh, many guys and people that I knew uh, had as well was, it was layered, it was nuanced, it was enmeshed and entangled, and it wasn't going to be easily removed just by trying extra hard. And so that was something I saw some improvement on through my 20s. Um, not a nothing amazing and then but generally a little bit better where I would go two to three months at times and then have a bad binge or whatever you want to call it over maybe a weekend or a week or a couple of weeks and then kind of try and reset and then go again and so I think the most relief I got but not freedom was when I met the love of my life uh, Jacqueline when I was 25 almost 26 and so I think for me that new relationship was such a catalyst of excitement. It really killed any energy I had towards even imagining anyone else because I was just so naturally attracted to Jacqueline and excited about this relationship. I felt like it gave me about nine to 10 months of not even struggling. Like there was no part of me that desired to look something up or think about anyone else. I was just so excited about this relationship and could feel the gift that she was in my life and that we were going to be on a track towards marriage. And so that really was an awesome honeymoon of sorts in my struggle. Um, but then it did creep back in and that was probably our first hard conversation. Well, I love that you brought that up because I think, especially for those um, people, and I'm going to say people because it's not all a guy struggle. Um, I think people can feel like, oh, once I get married once I meet that person then that will solve this issue like isn't this just a single person's issue and all the stats will say no it is not uh, a single person's issue and so for me on from my end in this story um, I was pretty naive when it came to this whole thing um, and so when we when we first I think Brendan basically the first time we had this conversation he really confessed to me um, what had been going on. And I was, I was so blindsided really is the term. And I just remember thinking, I have no concept with how to have, how to process this. I don't know who to talk to about this. I haven't heard anybody else talk to me about like their husband struggling with this. So I feel alone. I feel, I feel ashamed. I actually felt, um, betrayed and I felt like he was cheating on me even though he wasn't actually with somebody, but that was the 
that was the feeling I had. And I just remember where I was sitting, crying. And, um, you know, it was a long time ago, so it's hard to remember all of our process out of that. But it was probably not just one hard conversation. It was probably many hard conversations. Um, And there can be this temptation, too, as well, to feel like um, now I need some sort of... um, payback some revenge or I need um, some sort of assurance like this is never going to happen again there's I think trying to navigate those feelings of hurt and not even knowing how to support Brendan or how to solve this issue and I think that's actually part of why we're having this conversation because like Brendan said for so many men or women the only um, solution we come up with is like try harder and that always falls flat. Whatever the whatever the stronghold is, whatever the addiction is, whatever the thing is. And for me, it may not be pornography, but there's other things in my life where I have done that same thing where I'm like, I'm just going to try harder. It doesn't work. You feel like a failure. You feel so ashamed. And that's this vicious cycle. And I know that's where Brendan would have found himself at this time. So Brendan, you and I resolve where we were at at that point, we have the conversation. Um, Tell me, just pick up from there where your journey kept going. Well, I think for me, I do remember actually pretty early on in our relationship confiding in Jacqueline about this being a long-term struggle, but I was actually able to share it as a past struggle because I, at that point, by the time I was opening up about it, I was like, yeah, I haven't struggled with it for six months. And now that you're in the picture, I'll never struggle with it again. And so I think it felt freeing, like I hadn't been hiding this as some part of my past that I never shared about with her, but then it did reach the stage and I can kind of visualize where the conversation happened because it was probably one of the worst conversations I've ever had in my whole life in the sense of getting to the stage, you know, after originally confiding that it's a past struggle and then realizing, okay, it, it had come back at the nine, 10 month mark. I think it was right around the time we were getting close to getting engaged. And um, I remember, yeah, confiding in Jacqueline and her reaction, which she described a moment ago, and then like visibly she was just rocked and so emotional and so upset. Like I, I think it's not an overstatement to say she cried for about an hour. And I just remember sitting there in her tears and her describing essentially what she'd said, which was, I feel like you've been cheating on me. And I totally understood why she would feel that way. And I didn't feel like, oh, I know it's not the same. It's mentally, it's blah, blah, blah. There wasn't a real person, yada, yada. It didn't feel like I had any of those excuses or reason. I was like, no, that makes sense that you feel that way. And every part of me would love to never do this again, never to hurt you, not to be caught up in it, all those things. And so I would say there was... It was a much stronger external motivator than the money jar or other forms of external accountability and motivation, but it nonetheless was external. So it probably gave me about a month of fear where I wouldn't even dare do it because I didn't want to hurt her again like that. And I felt like I wanted a trusting relationship. I wanted a a relationship where we would tell each other what's going on, even the stuff the other person doesn't want to hear so that there was openness and honesty. And so I want to say it was probably maybe... A couple months later, I had to confide again that uh, once again, I'd had a, a, a slip up or whatever. And I remember she was emotional again. It wasn't the same thing. And I felt like the second conversation had even less fear, accountability, external motivation than the first. And it just cemented for me as like, this is not going to be the way that I get free. I also don't want to keep 
my struggle in secrecy from this person that I'm on a path to marry, because that's not good for that relationship, but that's not the way I'm going to break free. And so I think for me, that put me onto a journey uh, over a few years of trying to be really aware of all the things that were going on for me when I would feel the pull and not be equipped to say no. Um, and I started to be aware emotionally, physically. Uh, we talked about work-life balance, and that was being a huge factor. When I would go super hard and have so many nights out and long hours, then I would wear myself down emotionally and my resisting system, or whatever you want to call it, um, defense mechanisms were were down. My uh, ability to say no was weakened. Uh, I found the same emotionally. If I was highly discouraged or, or worn out or tired, discouraged how things were going, then I would end up um, drifting over to there. Also, when I wasn't vigilant. So if I watched a movie that I didn't even know had nudity in it, and I was in the midst of it, and I saw it, and I thought, well, I'm an adult. Like, this doesn't bother me. I'm fine. I'm not thinking about this. You know, it'll end soon. Um, but I wouldn't, like, basically shut my eyes or block my vision with my hands then it would put something in me. The same thing if I was on a website browsing for something that wasn't, you know, pornographic, but it was a really, you know, whatever, alluring ad to click through over to some other section. If I didn't um, immediately get off that website, block my eyes, those sorts of things, it would plant this little hook and this little um, seed that would basically be growing whether I realized it or not. And so that was a big part of it. I did find... I would have more continued sections, like as my own walk with Jesus had greater intimacy, as I spent more time in scripture, there was general improvement, but I still wasn't immune. And so, and I think for me too, what was so layered around it was just this shame, like this real deep level shame. And then just this inability to feel like I will never get over, over this struggle. Like this is a lifelong struggle. This is my cross to bear. I will always carry this. Like, how could I ever get past it? And I know for me, like one particularly difficult time is that in my work, as I shared about on some of the other episodes, I'm in ministry and youth ministry, and I get the chance to be um, shepherding and discipling and sharing Christ with other people. And even have had the chance to speak at some of our camps. And I remember one particular summer that I was the camp speaker and you're the person like holding up like life to the full in Jesus. And I remember after a few weeks of being on the stage there coming home and having what essentially was a binge weekend back to um, this terrible habit and just feeling like I am the worst, like I'm the worst hypocrite. I clearly should not be on a stage holding up Jesus to others and freedom and life to the full and all these things because I don't have it. I haven't figured it out. And I'm now, you know, getting older and should understand how to navigate this. And I, I haven't resolved it. Well, thank you um, for sharing so much and being so um, honest in your struggles. And I know that there are people listening who probably breathed a sigh of relief in some ways because you have had similar moments where you have felt stuck in that cycle of shame um, and you have done things that you don't want to do um, and even had those moments of feeling hypocritical. And I think, you know, just to pause for a moment, shame is not from God. Shame is one of the ways the enemy, uh, one of the things the enemy uses to keep us stuck. And so if we can still, be we can believe those things that say, hey, 
You are always going to be this way. You are this terrible person. You are this hypocrite. Sit in this place of shame that actually isn't going to help us walk into freedom. And so if any of that part of the story has related to you in any way, feeling that sense of shame or feeling like this is always how my life is going to be. I will never overcome this. I just want to say that is a lie. And we are going to get to the part of the story where Brennan talks about true freedom in this. Um, But I want to plant that seed of hope that that seed of hope would actually replace any shame you would currently be feeling. um, Because hope does come from um, Jesus. Really everything that um, Jesus has done on the cross has enabled us to be able to walk in freedom and to overcome. And it's the enemy who wants to say, you're always going to be this way. You're stuck, you're dirty, you're gross, you're disqualified. Um, And so we're going to carry on with Brennan's story towards freedom. Um, But I just want to say for those of you who are, who are resonating and feeling like, yeah, that's, that's how I feel. I want you to carry on for the rest of the story that leads to a place of true freedom. So Brennan, how did you go from there, that low, low point in your life to being able to say, hey, I actually walk free in this area? Yeah, it's interesting when you're in the midst of a struggle that you've had for such a long time to know, you can know looking back that you were about to turn a corner, but I think in that moment itself, you don't always realize that you're actually close to getting over the hump. And so when I look back, so that for me was 2013, that summer coming off as the speaker at that camp. Um, I had, I know, one more kind of slip up window, maybe that fall, like September-ish. And then something around that experience of that slip up hit a deeper chord of just like, this has to change, like this this must change. There's got to be a way forward. And along the way, you know, that it, there was several years in between of, um, of journeying with Jacqueline and at times where she would bring up the conversation. And, and basically I remember getting to a place with you where I just said, I can't have you ask me anymore about this because this external accountability doesn't work. Like I want to have honesty and trust, but I can't ask. You can ask like in a quiet moment, sitting down one-on-one on a date or somewhere else where it's like, we're going to have a hard conversation. You might hear a hard answer, but I can't have you be like my accountability around the house. Um, And so, and I think that was partly me learning like this is deeply internal and this is going to be one heck of a mega weed that Jesus is going to have to uproot out of me. And so I need encouragement and support, but I don't, I think it's too raw to have you right in the middle of it side by side. And it's almost easier to confide in some guys that they're not as emotionally um, rising and falling based on my successes and failures. Cause they don't have as, they, they want to see me flourish, but you know what I mean? It's not their marriage, obviously. So, um, so I think one of the like hindsight pieces is that in 2012, I'd had a sabbatical And I mentioned that in the work-life conversation. And in it, I had an inspiration seeing an older guy that was a professor in one of my courses I took who shared about his Bible daily habit of just reading a psalm a day, an Old Testament chapter, a New Testament chapter. And I had struggled for so many years being in Scripture and really not being in the Bible personally very often. Um, Even though I was in full-time ministry, I would just read the Bible at church, you know, small group, 
prepping a lesson. I figured I was getting enough that way and I did it in my undergrad, so I'm probably covered. And so listening to this 70-year-old guy who just exuded grace and wisdom and just was like everything I wanted to be in 40 years, I just had this like something snapped in me that was like, well, clearly I want to be like you when I'm older and that's the pathway. So I remember being incredibly passionate to start becoming a daily Bible reader. And I didn't immediately. And I had a little note on my phone and I noticed like, oh, every third day, every second day. And so I would say that that was an underground current that I didn't realize had been planted in 2012 that I do think was part of the 2013, like turn the corner moment. Because one of the reasons I identify that is that I have this uh, moment, I've shared it with Jacqueline before, but it was two weeks into starting that Bible habit where I went to back the vehicle, like our van, I think, out of the uh, driveway. And as I went to back up, I couldn't get out properly in one go. And I was already a couple minutes late because the garbage cans were not properly against the wall. They were sticking out too far. And so I had to get out and then push them back and then get back in and then back out. And now I'm an extra minute late. And the whole time I realized like, this was Jacqueline's doing. Like she put the garbage cans in the wrong place. She clearly wants me to be late. She's not a thoughtful person. She does this kind of stuff on purpose. And now my day is thrown off and wrecked and all these things. And while I was going down this like thought spiral, there was this other part of me that was like, but what if she just accidentally didn't put them back properly? And another part of me was like, oh, that's probably way more logical. I don't think she's actually trying to sabotage me in my life. And then this third thought came in that was like, how often do you have these thought spirals and never like pause them to wonder if they're true at all? And then the final thought was, why did you notice it this time? Oh, I wonder if it has to do with being in the Bible almost every day that you can actually spot the spiraling. And so I do think that was some of what came into play for me as that 2013 summer to fall window happened is I just realized with a couple of clear thoughts, like first off one for me was how I would often fall is I would have a low emotional moment. I'd be on the computer late at night. And then I would say to myself, you shouldn't do it. Here's all the consequences, bad for ministry, bad for marriage, like don't do it. And then this other part would be like, how about we just look? for a bit, like five minutes. We won't act physically on it. Like there won't be anything like that way. It's just eyes only. Um, and so I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's a good deal. That scenario without fail was a hundred percent like failure rate. I would end up falling within 10 days of that first eyesight. And so one of the things that I would say, like with the wisdom of God's word being strengthened in me, strengthened in the spirits, like catching these terrible thought strategies that I had, these runaway thoughts was to say, you can never look at anything again, because if you think you'll look at something and it won't do something else to you, you are a fool. So that for me became the strategy to say, if there's nudity on a show that I didn't know had it, I will either end the show fast forward the show, or I, if I'm in a theater or something, I will cover my ears and eyes until the scene is over and I won't be thinking about it. If I'm on a website, I will immediately move my hands to block the right-hand side where the terrible ad is. And then with my other hand or whatever, get off of this site. doesn't matter what I was here for. It was some new site or whatever, where I just realized I have a no see anyone naked policy ever. 
was one of the ways that I realized I need to start to tackle this differently. And so I would say this combination of scripture, like catching these runaway thoughts and these roots, being aware of my emotional lows that would create this. And even saying to myself, honestly, Brendan, this would be a good season to put on 20 extra pounds because every time you feel emotionally low, you eat a whole bag of chips. Eating a whole bag of chips is way better for your marriage than pornography. It's not perfect. It's not great for your heart or your health. But honestly, if this is about getting off of this bad addiction, like someone trying to get off alcohol or drugs using smoking, it's like there's times in life where it's so life or death, substitute a less negative habit until you can get all the way off onto only good habits. And I would say the same thing for a guy, it'd be way better struggle with video games than pornography. Video games can also be incredibly distracting and a terrible digital world to live in. But if that was the trade-off, so using those strategies, I found myself a year later shocked that I could say to myself, to God, to Jacqueline, or any guys in my life who journey with me to say, it has been one year since I've um, looked at any pornography, masturbated, done anything visually, like I've said no to every thought. And so that was a crazy reality to believe that even one year of sin-free in this realm was even possible. So I love that you shared a lot of the practical steps that you took. And one thing that Brendan and I often talk about, and I think I like to share in this podcast, is the practical steps along with the spiritual. And that really is going to be the place where Brendan talks about true freedom. Um, But there is, the practical is the reality that we live in. And so even as you were talking about this thought spiral, um, I had just read this book called Get Out of Your Head um, by Jenny Allen. And she really talks about this idea of thinking about what we're thinking about and taking thoughts captive, which is a verse from 2 Corinthians 10, 5. And one of the things that um, I often like to talk about is how we, with our thought life, it's like we have to go to the gym and we have to get a little bit stronger. And sometimes if you've ever gone to the gym, when you first get there, you feel pretty weak and you feel like, I don't, I don't really know what I'm doing. But after a while going there consistently, you do get stronger and you do know your way around the gym and feel confident. And I think that's what happens with our thought life. And so for me, recently, um, it has been any, any fearful thoughts, any, any fear or anxiety inducing thoughts, I have to just stop them, not entertain them at all and just say, nope, you do not get to be here. You're out of here. You do not. And that has been a process for me of really um, growing stronger in my ability to identify, you know, what is true and what isn't. And, and Brendan talked about being in the Bible every day. And it's not like there was something in the Bible that said, your wife is not trying to sabotage you with garbage cans. And to this day, I honestly don't even know what he's talking about. I don't, I don't believe that as part of the garbage can situation. But, um, but what happens is when we read the Bible, our mind is renewed and we're able to think more clearly. It's less foggy. There's less confusion. Um, there's less of what Brendan was talking about in assuming and accusing me with the garbage can situation. Um, the enemy works in a voice of accusation, right? God doesn't work in a voice of accusation. So when we have those thoughts that come up that go, oh, I believe it's this is the thing that's happening. Um, as we're in God's word, he's able to renew our minds and say, hey, maybe that thing isn't true. Maybe um, that is not um, from me. And so I love that you shared all the practical. I'd love to dive into 
true freedom and the spiritual part of what um, had led, has led you there? Yeah, I think it was a pretty big moment for me to get to a year free and probably each of us in different categories in our life have journeyed with something where you've maybe imagined in your mind like, wow, like what if I was ever debt free? What if I was ever my ideal weight? What if I ever practice this spiritual discipline every day or every week the way I wanted to? And so you try and sometimes if you feel far away, you're never going to get there. You're like, I don't even, I don't even know what that's going to feel like. Like what? Oh man. Like, and so I remember getting into it and I was, I think I was incredibly surprised by the feeling in two key ways. One, the feeling of not having committed anything shameful for 12 straight months was like, oh man, like just an adrenaline shot to the heart of just feeling like this is so encouraging. Oh my gosh. Wow. Like there's hope. Okay, world, we can do things like with God, there's freedom. So it was that, but then paired exactly with it was this dismay at the amount of gross sexual thoughts that were still rattling in my mind every day. And even though I wasn't accepting any of them in terms of fantasizing about them. Like they wouldn't come in. I'd be like, Oh, that's attractive. Maybe I'll think about it. Like I literally felt like I was trying to bat away flies that were hovering around my head, every sexually, whatever negative or unhealthy or unwanted thought. Like I would, and even I had the process of, you know, being places, especially where you don't want these thoughts. And for a while I would shake my head. Like I was trying to physically shake the thought to like fly back out, which can hurt your neck after a while and sometimes give you a headache. But I just felt so committed to like, I'm not going to let anything take root. But then I think I was just discouraged to feel like, you know, I've broken free of other habits. Like in high school, I was a smoker. And so I remember the feeling of what it's like to go through withdrawals. And then you have dreams about smoking. And then, you know, you see someone smoking once in a while. And you're like, oh, it kind of looks good. But no, no, I'm free. It's like I, I can I have comparable experiences. So I was like, okay, well, what is it going to feel like to have no interest, no desire, no, no muscle memory of this behavior and thought pattern that I had? And I think for me, I just had so much discouragement that for all, all the physical freedom, all the practical freedom, I didn't have mental freedom. I didn't have emotional freedom. I didn't have spiritual freedom. And so I could share that. Like I even started talking about this more openly. And, um, you know, if I had like a seminar on a leadership retreat and would talk about, you know, this struggle with, you know, men and women and say like, here, this is, I'll tell you some of my journey and that what's possible but I still was like, ah, the, the bondage that's still happening there. And I would describe it as, and I think I used something similar to this a moment ago, unwanted thoughts, like thoughts that you are receiving that you don't want. And I think one of the things that became a realization for me that is, and perhaps many of you have gone down this path of having this realization or having someone express it, but I'll just say it this crazy idea that I think has so much truth and is part of the path to freedom, not every thought that comes into your mind is your own. Not every thought you have is from you. And I would say as scary as that to realize is there's actually a path to freedom in it because rather than it being every thoughts mine, therefore, if I have a gross thought 
if I have a terrible thought, then you are an evil, crazy, gross, disgusting person. But if the reality is that you have thoughts that are from an enemy that hates you and is trying to throw weeds, negative seeds in your mind, then the positive is you say, well, I'm, I'm just a person who's being sabotaged. I'm just a person who's being attacked. And it doesn't mean we don't have accountability and responsibility for what we do with the things that do get lobbed into our mind, but just to even realize that, I think there's even a positive sense of that too, where that also means you could have thoughts from God. You could have thoughts from the Holy Spirit. So rather than taking credit for every thought that is the Holy Spirit and being like, no, that's just me or dismissing it as God, I think there's actually a lot of freedom and flourishing that can come from saying, Thoughts that come in could be me, and they're still in the mass majority are us, but there also are thoughts that are God and the Holy Spirit. There also are thoughts that are Satan, demons, and the enemy. And so trying to just realize, okay, if that's the case, how do I get way more thoughts from the Holy Spirit? And let's just, you know, take every thought captive from the enemy, as Jacqueline quoted a second ago. How do we get rid of those? How do we bar the door? So the enemy has almost no rights to give us any thoughts. And so for me, what I realized was even the discernment of that, like I could be someone who could quite honestly say, you know, eating a whole Chicago style deep dish pizza is not in my best interest. It's not healthy. I understand how much cheese is in those things and how they make them. But to be honest, I just, I love it. I love those pizzas. I also have a, a great passion for donuts and I know it's wrong to eat a whole box or half a box from a really nice donut shop. But I would say those are genuine desires that I have. I can relate to them. They come from me. What I realized with the sexual struggle is like, I don't even have some of these desires that these thoughts are that are coming in. Like I, I've never resonated with them. And I think for me, one of the more uh, specific examples I would have is that I'm someone for my work. I get to do a lot of coffees, a lot of one-on-ones with people of all different ages, younger people, but also like young adults, older adults, retirees. And I found it didn't matter the age. It didn't even matter the gender. I would be sitting there in Starbucks across the person talking literally about Jesus or their life or our ministry or something significant. And in the midst of it, I would have this thought that would come into my mind like a cannonball. They would be like, imagine you and them doing this sexually, blah. And it, it made me just do the head shake maneuver or I would quickly pivot my eyes to something in the distance and look at it and make myself think about it to pull away from it. And I realized, I don't even resonate with these desires. I don't have a desire to have any sexual thought towards anyone besides my wife. I don't have a desire to have a sexual thought towards whoever this person is across me. This is coming from somewhere else. So I would say that was a huge part of the path. And I would encourage you, whether it's related to lust or anything else in your life, I know that feels like that opens up a whole realm of things you don't want to consider, that there's thoughts going on in your mind that come from another source that especially isn't God. I think that part we were maybe more encouraged by, but to actually realize, well, then that means that you aren't as evil and terrible and disgusting and shameful as some of the negative thoughts you have. Those are thrown there by an enemy, someone who is lobbing grenades over the walls to try and have you grab them, hold on to them and be destroyed by them, hurt by them, taken over by them. And so I think that was for me a really significant breakthrough. And then I would pair that with, I had a pretty 
major prayer encounter while on a retreat. Um, again, about a year later from having no physical act, not looked at anything, nothing pornography, no masturbation, nothing. And I was going away on what, I think we had about an hour of quiet time. We'd sent everyone out, including myself. We're in this really beautiful place in the mountains with like kind of this forest walk. And I'd been there a few times for different um, retreats and knew the grounds well. And so I went walking and I was letting my feet guide me. And I was just trying to give the Holy Spirit a blank check of just connecting with God in a really cool way. And I had no idea what was on the Holy Spirit's agenda. And while I'm walking I um, had to realize, you know, I'm still experiencing these negative thoughts, these unwanted sexual thoughts. And then all of a sudden I got to this little alcove and there was like, it's hard to describe. And I don't know what everyone's geography is like everywhere and what kind of weeds you get in your climate. But here we get these like dandelion weeds that are these huge like green bases with massive leaves. leaves. And, and most often in our lawn here, they're, they're small. But this one was like... These were supersized weeds. Like they were crazy big in this little alcove I was in. I was like, oh, these are really ridiculously sized weeds. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was just wanting me to pause for a second and use as an object lesson and just say, those weeds are representative of the ground the enemy has taken sexually inside your mind, inside the walls of your mind, the territory he has to basically imprison you in a jail cell of negative sexual shame. And I think for me, as I thought about that, I was like, oh, wow, that, that feels true to my core, like to my gut, that that is what I'm living in. I'm living in like a terrible rerun of every sexual mistake I've made, every sexual image I've ever held onto, every gross label I should be because I've ever done these things, especially while in full-time ministry and in marriage and as a Christian. And so the next thing that followed was Jesus saying, son, today we are going to break you out of jail. And he had me with a little journal I had on me, write a list to actually write it out. What I was hearing constantly in my mind, a list of every accusatory condemning thing Satan was saying about me sexually. So I wrote this list that was things like, I'm disgusting, I'm perverted, I am sexually immoral, I am adulterer, um, I am I'm unfit to be a camp speaker, I'm unfit to be in full-time ministry, I'm disqualified. It was this huge, long, terrible, shameful, gross list. And I realized it was probably the first time I'd taken any real energy to put those things down on paper that had been just rattling for months and years in my mind. And I never shared it to anyone. I was like, well, this is what I get for what I did is what I was continually telling myself. Like, this is actually what I deserve is to just rattle in this jail cell of gross condemnation. And then on the other page, right across from it, I got to write all the things that Jesus says about me that are true that I am a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come, that I'm forgiven, that I'm his son, that he's the one that qualifies me. He's the one who's made me righteous. He's the one who is said that I am forgiven, that I have been made to walk in freedom, that I get to receive freedom, that I'm worthy of freedom. And seeing those two lists, I felt like there was something that broke and then I spiritually out loud because of a journey I'd been on and learning how to pray for others in terms of 
the ballpark of spiritual warfare and that they're, you know, not only are these unwanted thoughts, but that we have authority in Christ in his name to pray out loud. And so then I actually took the list of lies, the condemnation lies, and I prayed them out loud to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I hear this, I hear this, I hear this, I hear this, I hear this. And I want to give you this gross list. I give it all to you. I want you to take it from me in your name. I want it to have no power, no truth, no ability to remain in me. And then I prayed the other list uh, over as truth over me. But then one more key step that may take more time to unpack, but I'll just share it was I then in the name of Jesus prayed against with authority. So not asking Jesus to remove, but having learned some things that I could actually in Christ pray against the evil. I, I prayed out the spirit of lust. I prayed out the spirit of pornography. I prayed out the spirit of sexual fantasy and masturbation. And by the time I was done this little prayer session and, and, you know, confessing and praying out and naming I remember this moment where Jesus was like, okay, you're ready to walk out of the jail cell. You're ready to walk out of this little alcove of mega weeds that are representing your mental world. And when I walked out, I just took a giant step and I kind of felt self-conscious, but I was alone far enough in the woods. I was like, no one can see what is happening here. So I'm okay. Um, as I stepped out, I just had this moment where I felt like someone had, I don't know if there's a thing you can visualize, but I can visualize like if someone could like wash your brain, like if they could like take it off and just like soap and water and get all the dirt off and then put it back in. It was like, it had that feeling. And what I realized as I walked down the path, I would, I had this thought of like, I just want to know, like, is it still possible for me to have negative sexual thoughts? I don't want to like wreck it because it's clean and new, but I just want to know like what new reality do I get to walk in? And it was not too far back on the path as I'm walking back towards the cabin where I see another mega weed. And I was like, oh no, like they can still get me. And I realized there was the ability for sexual thoughts, negative thoughts to come in. But what had happened is that when Jesus broke me out of that jail in prayer and pair, pairing with what had been practical freedom for over a year is that he took it so the thoughts were no longer rooted and strongholding inside my mind. He kicked them all outside. And so now the enemy truly did have to lob things from the outside rather than starting with shame, condemnation, um, strongholds of sexual sin, the mistakes I made in the past, rather than those originating from within, when they're originating from within, they already have won the battle before you fought it. You feel the temptation when it's on the inside of your thought world, like they're already there. They've already, they're already three steps down the path before you can even respond and get a chance to fight free. Whereas I realized, oh my gosh, with the thoughts on the outside now, I actually have a fighting chance to defeat these thoughts long-term. And so I would say there was a few other key spiritual prayer moments that paired with that, but that was a real turning point in the battle where I felt like, oh, I only not only have physical freedom, I now am getting some benefits of physical, mental, and emotional freedom, which was an absolute game changer. Wow. Um, there's so, there's so much in there. I love how you shared your story. I love that, um, you have had similar moments with Jesus that I have had with the weed analogy. And so if you've listened to this podcast before, or if you've read my book Tangled, you know, that's, that's the analogy I use of 
really these things that have been going on inside of us that are tangling us up from the inside out. And I thought you did such a great job, Brennan, of really um, sharing um, so much of how the enemy works and how try as hard as we might to break free from things, we often, we just can't on our own. We can't strong arm our way into freedom. It really comes when we partner with Jesus. And I often like to say um, on here, just to take some time and read Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 that really talk about this idea of search me, God. Let me know what's going on inside of my heart because the same way I don't always know um, what I look like unless I look in a mirror. It is that process of sitting with the Holy Spirit that he becomes that mirror for our heart and tells us, hey, this is what's going on. And and for him, it's not to condemn us. It's not to leave us in a place of shame. It's to convict us, which is, it's bringing up stuff, but it's for our freedom. So that moment when Brennan is sitting in that alcove and the Holy Spirit is pointing out these weeds. It's not to shame Brendan. It's for his freedom. And as he shares here, he went through this process. And I love that, again, this is a very practical step-by-step process, but it's also spiritual. It's also this partnering with Jesus. And so I want to sort of recap there that he he actually got the lies and the accusation out of his mind. So he wrote them down. He also later on then prayed them out. So he wrote down the lies. He combated those lies with truth. And I actually have something as well in my website that is just a very simple thing you can download. Um, that's a piece of paper that has lies on one side, truth on the other, and can has, has a few question prompts if this is something you want to do when it comes to any area of your life where you feel like the enemy has a stronghold. It's getting those lies out, replacing them with truth. And then Brendan spent some time essentially saying, um, you know, I'm giving you this, Jesus. I'm confessing out loud this thing that has had a hold on me. You know, and the Bible talks about having things like a spirit of fear. And there can be just these very um, specific spirits that for whatever reason we have um, often unknowingly partnered with. And we've we've given the enemy some access and he he wants to hold on, wants to kind of grip us. But um, Jesus has said, hey, there is a way to break free. And it is, we're going to confess out loud with our mouths. And then we have this authority. So we see all throughout the Gospels, Jesus gave us authority in his name to say, get lost, get out of here. You do not have a right to be here. So spirit of fear, you have to go. In Jesus' name, you have to go. Spirit of pornography, whatever it is. And and we send those things away. Um, and then Brendan, often as he would pray, would say, let's fill that space of your head and your heart. Fill that space with God's love, with his truth. Um, really praying sort of a blessing over that space. Um, and then being able to sort of walk free. And, you know, if this is something that feels like this deeply um, resonates with you, um, what Brendan's not sharing that's a longer part of a story is um, really being trained in um, something called deliverance prayer, which a lot of people would call healing prayer or something, which again is just praying in authority. And so wherever you live, your church might have some sort of healing prayer ministry, deliverance prayer ministry. Um, That can be helpful for somebody to come even alongside of you. 
uh, that you don't necessarily have to do this alone, that you can have somebody partner with you to pray as well. Um, but I often talk on here about this idea of getting those lies out. And um, as they stay in our head, they're able to run wild. Um, there's nobody policing them. And the enemy loves that again, as Brendan was talking about those thoughts. And and for me, the um, I don't resonate as much with those thoughts when it comes to pornography, but I resonate with those thoughts when it comes to fear and it comes to anxiety. And so again, it's, um, I want to use the authority I have. And really, um, I have found for myself, it has been a process of growing up and maturing in the authority that Jesus has given me. Um, and I, I talk about this sometimes, how I have said to our kids, when they are experiencing some level of fear, I say to them, you have authority. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And so one very simple thing I've shared with my kids, just to say if they feel fearful or feel like, you know, there's a monster, just to say, Jesus says, go away. Like they have the authority. And so really practicing and growing up in the authority we have in Jesus name. And so um, what Brennan was saying there is that he, he experienced a physical freedom where he had he was so excited to be free from this practice of um, engaging in pornography. But then it was really this spiritual, emotional, mental freedom that he received in that process. Um, and that is what has really helped him live from this place of freedom. And I know for, for many, they can feel like, okay, I got the first part down, right? Like I, I'm not looking at anything. I'm not... But I, it feels like such a struggle. It still feels like this struggle. It feels like these images come at me. And so I would just encourage you to uh, spend some time with Jesus. This isn't something that um, is necessarily always a quick fix. I talk about how sometimes things, we have a, a moment of freedom. There's this quick healing process. Sometimes there, there's a, a longer process. And so just taking that time to sit with Jesus and say, what's going on in my heart? What? What other area do you want me to be um, free in? And in the Passion Translation, in that Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, it says, um, what path of pain am I walking in? And lead me to that place of freedom. And so for a lot of us, we're walking through these paths of pain, just thinking, this is as good as it gets. This is just how it is. This is just who I am. This is just going to be my struggle. But what if there is a chance to actually be walking in true freedom. Um, but it does require us being honest with God, honest with ourselves, and um, being able to partner with him. Brendan, is there anything else you would share uh, for anybody as we begin to wrap up this episode? Yeah, I think as I referenced, there was kind of multiple prayer times, and I would say that the the weed one was a very profound and it was a game changer and I think for me it's funny how and maybe this is a good parallel with so many things we journey with in life where yes cutting it out physically yes not giving in at all to the practice was a level of freedom but there was still more work to be done and then I would say similarly with this pushing all the thoughts that could come as temptation outside my mind, not letting them dwell there, which was entirely, as you heard, a God-led process and a God, you know, provided for um, new reality. But there was still these moments. So even when I shared before about the Starbucks little um, 
in these unwanted obtrusive thoughts, those didn't go away. So my normal was to live in a much cleaner, freer mind. But then that's where I would discover that, oh, what? Like there's still this. And there was even times I'd be praying and I would picture Jesus in a prayer encounter. And I would have moments where Jesus in my mind, as I'm praying in what feels like a very sacred moment, Jesus would go to do a gross sexual act. And I just remember feeling so mad, like so mad that, that anything evil could defile something as precious as me being alone with Jesus. And so I just was left with like, what do I do with these two encounters? But by continuing to walk with God's timing of his freedom and his best for me, that he wants to break me all the way out of jail. And um, I would say this is a metaphor I've used at times that for me captures some of this experience, but so much of our coming to faith can feel like breaking out of jail. Like we were in the enemy's camp and Jesus, the James Bond character into the Siberian Russian prison of us, you know, in high security lockdown comes and gets us out and brings us into the light, into life in him and relationship with him. And we're, we're out of jail. We've been, you know, like the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt where we have this great exodus. But then I would say what really begins after that is the process of Jesus then taking the jail out of us. So just because we are now out of jail doesn't mean we still don't have months and years and years and decades in some cases of baggage from that jail life, from the voice of the prison guards, from the lifestyle and culture of the fellow inmates. And so we have to get that taken out of us. And that, that could be maybe an, 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 an insightful way of sorts of thinking of what sanctification really is, is this lifelong, beautiful process from now to heaven of God remaking us from the inside out. And so along the way, there was probably two more kind of, and I'll just summarize them short and sweet, but uh, moments. So one of them was with the unwanted thoughts in the, in the coffee shops. I realized that my dad um, had had his own journey with this struggle. And I was aware of that by being a Snoopy kid as a teenager and finding, you know, things that he had hidden in his room that I was exposed to in part because I found them there. And so I, um, I had an older male figure who was kind of a father figure of sorts to me that I really respected. And I've always looked up to his walk with Christ. And in the midst of the season of getting freedom while at his house, having a coffee, I just felt the Holy Spirit tap three times, ask him to pray for you for freedom sexually from the stuff that was passed down from your dad. And that has been part of my spiritual warfare journey and learning about things like deliverance and praying with authority is there's a thing that's listed in the 10 commandments. It's called the idea of generational sin, where um, sin is passed down to the third and fourth generation. And so as sad of a thought as that is that we would not only pick up, you know, the um, genetic um, challenges from our uh, ancestors, but that we'd also pick up the spiritual um, challenges of our ancestors. But by knowing that there's a, there's a path to freedom through having someone pray specifically. And so having this, uh, godly man pray for me, I experienced this break from, and I was like, now I'm in Starbucks and I'm free. Like there's nothing coming. That's that I don't want. That's going to take me off my game and be so discouraging. And then a similar path with the times where I would, uh, be praying and, and visualizing Jesus as I'm praying and having that be defiled, on another prayer retreat one time, I felt led by the Holy Spirit to um, 
out loud confess, and I highlighted that before and Jacqueline accentuated as well, but I cannot say enough in the path to freedom about saying it out loud verbally, even alone in your closet when praying um, or with a friend, a trusted friend, saying it out loud, confessing it out loud, even if the confession is like, if it's something totally unrelated, like it's, it's a, a harmful, abusive incident that happened to you, saying it out loud and confessing in the sense of telling Jesus about it and saying you give it to him. Or when it's things we know we've wrongfully done, then confessing it and say, and repenting of it and saying, please forgive me. But I was able to, by nudge of the spirit, list all the sexual encounters I'd had um, as a non-Christian teenager. Um, there, I had different girlfriends and different things. And so I needed to confess all of my sexual activity pre-marriage. Um, and it wasn't crazy exhaustive. It wasn't I had been with so many people, but there had been um, a few incidents and a few names. And that if I was going to get for go after total freedom, which... I would say has been my path. Once I got a taste of some freedom, I was like, oh, now I want absolute freedom. Like it tastes too good to be able to actually go to bed with a calm mind and walk around not feeling guilty all day long. Like I'd give me more of this, please, Jesus. And so that was one of the paths. So I, I confessed out loud each person, the incident. I said the items that we did out loud, even though those are awkward terms to say in any context, even alone to say whatever it is. Um, but the reason those words are awkward is they have power. Like the words themselves have power, just the same way pornography and masturbation, those words have power. Saying whatever the sexual act is out loud has power when you're confessing it to Jesus as spiritual power behind it. And then praying with authority, any of the um, connections that were still there, any of the bondage, any of the demonic foothold strongholds, even a thing called a sexual soul tie to cut those off in Jesus name was a huge part um, and a key specific part in the freedom in picturing Jesus when I prayed without it having been defiled. And so to kind of get my life back, my mind back, my heart back, both from this struggle, but also just the rest of the days that I'm just walking around doing stuff, living life, doing ministry is such a gift. And so I think that's where a huge part of me has felt with this whole topic. Like, I don't know if people know where freedom is as Christians in being able to pray with authority, confess out loud. And also we're helpful. And I've had Jacqueline pray for me and I've done this for others, praying for others, like, like having that older guy pray for me, bringing others into our journey to have them pray um, for us as well. As it says in James, the, the prayers of a righteous man or person is effective. And I think that's really true in the path to freedom. Well, thank you. Um, again, Brendan, for sharing so much of your story, um, but also for teaching along the way. And I think um, it's obvious Brendan has gone on a long journey and it's um, he has a lot of wisdom to share in this area. So a few things I want to say. One, um, feel free to grab the Lies versus Truth um, download from my website. Number two, um, this is this is a hard conversation to have. This might be a conversation um, you need to have with somebody else. And as hard and as awkward as it is, um, Brennan and I are sitting here from a place of freedom. And I've shared my story from freedom from depression and anxiety. Um, and we, we've had our own struggles. Um, we're both really passionate about seeing other people break free. And so if this has been a helpful episode for you, I know there are other people in your lives who could also benefit. So as awkward as it is to send this kind of podcast to somebody else, um, 
if you think they could really benefit, um, just share this episode with somebody else as well, because we, we want to share this message of freedom. There are way too many Christian people walking around in a place of shame, walking around in a place of bondage and just really unaware as we would have been um, for much of our lives. And uh, we may do another episode later on, um, more specifically in terms of spiritual warfare and kind of that journey that we have been on in terms of learning more about what's going on. But I think Brennan did a great job um, of sharing about just the, the power, the authority, the freedom that Jesus wants for us. So I'm trusting this has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Thanks so much for listening today. I really am so encouraged knowing how many of you are being encouraged by this message. And if you have found it helpful, would you mind just sharing it with a friend, leaving five stars or even a review wherever you listen to po- podcasts, podcasts, keeping it super professional. Um, if you want to connect more with me, head over to Instagram where I'm at Jacqueline.Widener. Or if you want some free resources, head over to my website at JacquelineWidener.com. <laughs>